You're listening to another episode of Lords of Limited with your hosts Ben Worney and Ethan Sachs. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Lords of Limited. My name is Ben Worney, and joining me on the line, returning briefly to his homeland of Dominaria, is Ethan Sachs. Ethan, you excited to uh, let M21 lay for a week and and talk some Dom here? I think M21 is going to be laying for a few weeks, Ben. We've got a lot of exciting stuff releasing in the limited world of magic over the next few weeks. But yes, I am super pumped to return to my homeland of Dominaria and excited to share that infectious love with our dear sweet listeners. Yeah, I, I felt a disturbance in the force when you told me we were going to talk about Dominaria, some, some trauma from the past. Yeah, resurfaced. I, I think Dominaria is famously the only format in our three year plus history of doing a, a show about limited together that I did better than you at. This format is so you I was just looking through the show notes <laughs> and just everything you want to do in magic is like a plus the best thing to do in Dominaria. Yeah. Yeah, so hopefully uh, that will stay true as it returns to Best of One Arena next week. That's why we're talking about it here. Also, uh, I think folks, a lot of people have been asking me throughout the week, oh, are we going to talk about Throne of Eldraine? Because that's back right now um, from last Friday to next Friday when Dominaria takes over as the as a Best of One option on Arena, famously now without any bots. But we're going to... We're going to not touch on Eldraine on the show. We figure it's recent enough um, that folks can go back. I would start with our 50 Takes episode. If you are newer to our podcast or newer to Limited and didn't play Eldraine, uh, one, episode 130 is our 50 Takes for Throne of Eldraine. And I also wrote a, a brief draft primer for that uh, in anticipation of it coming back to Arena for Card Sphere. And we'll link that article uh, where you download the show as well. So there's there's resources out there. But Dominaria... That's that's far enough in the past, Ben. That was like episode like 41 through 50 was when we talked about Dominaria. It's a, it's a long time ago. Yeah, I found my old Dominaria spreadsheet while we were prepping for the episode, and it was pretty, pretty janky looking. And the only information on there was me tracking finals losses to tilt myself. And it was it was a struggle to remember what some of these cards did. But as we as we went through the show notes, it all started coming back. Yeah, I think uh, I think it will be a fun trip down memory lane. Um, this was also this format was like this was the first time we met, right? What was when we went to play the team GP together? Yeah. Good times. Yeah, good times with Dominaria. Okay, so we're gonna we're gonna dive in to that in just a second. But first things first, just a little bit of housekeeping. Gonna talk about the Lords of Limited Patreon page, patreon.com slash Lords of Limited is where you can go to get back to the show if you so choose. Of course, the show will always be free, but we'd like to give people some perks along the way. Ben mentioned uh tracking his uh his decks for Dominaria. Well, we've got a pretty pimped out spreadsheet now uh for folks if they want to uh join at that Patreon tier, you can check out all of uh, the decks that Ben and I draft, all of our draft logs are there. Um, some notes as well about perhaps how the deck played out, etc. You can see all of the stats of the color pairs that we draft. All of that like really nitty gritty good stuff. Um, if you want from from me and Ben getting our like hundred to two hundred reps of the format in, um, there's a lot of other good stuff over on at the Patreon, the Discord, of course. Um, and each and every week we want to shout out our new patrons. So this week we're welcoming Arthur, Chris, Alexander. Todd, Chad, and Johannes. Thank you, thank you, thank you. We really appreciate your support. Yeah, cannot say thank you enough. I had a, an insanely busy week this week thanks to Marching Man getting canceled and trying to plan for the future for what that was going to hold for us uh, for the upcoming school year and all that. But I do really feel strongly that the Discord, if you are one of those people that's busy but still loves magic, is a great way to keep in touch. And that is what it did for me this week very much. 
Yeah, sweet. All right, well, let's get let's get your M21 fix out of the way here, Ben. We're still going to still going to touch on the format of the present here in our round table and you've got a a nice little draft log here for us. Yeah, so pack one pick one, you sit down and you see the following cards as options. There's Feet of Resistance, one and a white for the instant, put a plus one plus one counter on target creature you control. It gains protection from the color of choice until end of turn. Basri's Acolyte, two white white for the 2/3 life linker, and when it ETBs, you get to put a plus one plus one counter on two creatures. Riddle form, one in a blue for the enchantment. When you cast a non-creature spell, you may have riddle form become a 3-3 Sphinx creature token with flying in addition to its other types until end of turn. And you can pay two in a blue to scry one. There's also eliminate, one in a black for an instant, destroy target creature or planeswalker with converted mana cost three or less. It's very interesting that this is a format where whenever I get asked about picks or like what's the build, like what are the cuts, my knee-jerk question is is this best of one or best of three yeah yeah <laughs> i know that this is best of three because this is a magic online draft log um but that it comes up so much when i see these arena screenshots i'm always like well what should i do now I, I feel pretty confident that no matter what best of one or best of three you're supposed to take Bosri's acolyte now m- my question to you is ben there was some scuttlebutt midway through the format or maybe a week or two ago that feet of resistance might unseat Basri's Acolyte as the best white common. What do you think about that? I think it's not crazy, but I, I am not there myself. I think Basri's Acolyte is too powerful when it comes down on curve. I think it's when Basri's Acolyte is at its best. I think its best is better than Feet of Resistance. And I think it's its floor is close to as good as Feet's. Whoa. I know that's not true. The floor, I guess the, you're saying the floor of Acolyte as I mean, the floor of Acolyte is better than the floor of Feet because the floor of Feet would be you have no creatures in play. I guess, but I mean, like a- average case, I guess. Yeah, like, yeah I, I think, think feats. I think feats average case is better, but I think Bosri's acolytes top end is about much better than feats. Yeah, I agree. I'm still on acolyte over feet number one, so that's where I'd land here. Yep, that's where I landed as well. It's kind of crazy to think about, though, right? Like at the at the start of the format, I would have thought we were picking Riddle Form over Bosri's acolyte, not particularly close, and eliminate right. Like we didn't. Yeah. we didn't think black was bad at the start of the format. Right. Yeah, it's kind of crazy. Mm-hmm. So Basri's Acolyte in the pile. Moving on to pack one, pick two here. No real commons in consideration. The best one is probably a makeshift battalion, two and a white for a three-two whenever it attacks and at least two other creatures attack. Put a plus one, plus one counter on it. Moving on to the uncommons, there's an obsessive stitcher, one blue-black for an O3 tap to loot, and you can pay two blue-black and sacrifice it to return target creature card from your graveyard to the battlefield. And there's also an Angelic Ascension, one on a white for the instant, exile target creature or planeswalker. Its controller creates a 4-4 white angel creature token with flying. Boom. Slam that Angelic Ascension. That card is fantastic. It really is. Partially because of just how fast the format is and that you don't mind at all just turning your 2-2 into a 4-4 flyer. Like that's Mm -hmm. just a very good play in the format, right? Right. And if you ever get to like respond, like, you know, you tussle in combat, your opponent tries to blow you out with a combat trick and you're like, cool, I'll just replace my creature that was going to die anyway, or in response to a removal spell or in response to something like uh, something that was going to get capture sphered or whatever. Card's great. Pack one, pick three here. No real commons in consideration and only one uncommon in consideration. There's some good ones. There's an invigorating surge and there's a gourmand. But ding, 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 ding. We got that Ben Slayer angel. Seasoned Hallowblade, one and a white for the 3-1, discard a card, tap it to give it indestructible until end of turn. Did you realize when you first saw this card that this was you? I, I did not. I mean, this is the art. Like, I just can't unsee it now. Somebody in Twitch chat pointed it out. Yeah. 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 The art looks like you. The card is great. Very much fits your play style. Windmill slam here. Yeah, so we got Acolyte, Ascension, and Hallowblade off to a great start. And then all of a sudden it stalls out here, pack one, pick four. So no real commons that we're excited about. There's a Sure Strike, 
There's a staunch shield mate and a Concordia Pegasus. Those are probably like the three commons we would most be interested in. And then in the uncommon slot, there's still a Gourmand hanging out for black black for a 5-5 flyer. As an additional cost to cast it, you sack a creature. And it's got flying, trample, and whenever ETBs, each opponent sacrifices a creature. Yeah, we're going to differ here a little bit. I would just stay the course with white and take Concordia Pegasus here. I recognize that the delta between Peggy and Gourmand is quite large, I would say, like a, a full letter grade, maybe a full letter grade plus apart in terms of like raw power. But as, as long as I've got Acolyte in my pile, I just want to make sure I have a critical mass of like cheap creatures that I can curve into Acolyte with. And I just don't really want to get into black. And I feel like there's value in ending pack one as just strictly white. And then I can figure out the rest in pack two. Sure. I think that's reasonable. I think that's close. I was more on the on the wavelength of dipping out and seeing what was open here. Because I think at this point, there's nothing that's pushing me off of white mm-hmm. with an Acolyte and an Ascension of Halblade. And maybe that's even more of a reason to, to play Concordia Pegasus because it makes it that much more likely. So I certainly see that. Uh, next pick, we grabbed a Gale Sweeper out of a very empty pack. And then took a Hunter's Edge, pick six, pick seven, stuff starts to dry up. We get a Staunch Shieldmate, a Concordia Pegasus. It was it was an interesting draft in that, like, not super interesting that white was open. But I didn't know my second color all the way until the end of pack three. And I barely made playables because of how much waffling around I did with what my second color was. So white was really open, but not like super, super open. And then I ended up with some red cards, some black cards and some green cards and ended up with what I thought was going to be a white red deck, but I just didn't have enough creatures. Yeah, I'm scrolling through the draft log here and you're like dipping into blue. You get a late watcher of the spheres at the end of pack two, but then you also have like a scorching dragon fire. You have scavenging use at the start of pack three, and then you get conclave mentor. And I assume that solidifies you into green white right that's what i thought as well so i i was thinking i was green white i had a scavenging ooze a conclave mentor but i just only ended up with like 11 creatures in my green white deck so i ended up having to actually play white red which is not nearly as nice looking of a deck but does have 16 creatures which is pretty important in m21 yeah that's interesting all right sweet well that's enough m21 for me i don't know about you ben but i am ready (laughs) to talk about my one of my favorite formats of all time, Dominaria. Yeah, I'll, I'll exercise some demons here. All right, great. So uh, <laughs> while Ben goes through some PTSD here, we'll uh, we'll go through some, some big picture stuff, talk about the top commons, talk about the archetypes, and then talk about some sweet stuff. Um, with the caveat of, I have noticed, I did some Throne of Eldraine drafts yesterday, that, you know, best of one is is having its way with the format a little bit. There's, there's less room for sweet stuff. I think aggro decks are going to emerge victorious more so than they did when this format initially came out. This format was was fairly slow. It was it was a slower format. I was looking through a lot of our old show notes for our episodes. Uh, I was listening to some of our old episodes to try and get refreshers on the format. And, and we had a lot of times where we had the phrase blocking is good in this set. Yeah, I remember that. That's one of the first that, that's my first epiphany moment that I remember is that Tolarian Scholar, the two in a blue two three vanilla was just a good card in the format because you wanted to be blocking. Like you wanted your opponents to attack into you. You wanted to block with open mana up and then you wanted to blow them out when they tried to use their run amok or their whatever to push through damage. Yeah, they're, they're, the aggro decks were not very good. There's a lot of good removal in the format and there's a lot of really powerful cards at, at Uncommon even that uh, that I think you, you could do better. You could outpace the aggro decks a lot of the time. But... I think that may not bear out to be the case with it coming back to best of one. So just keep that in mind as we take this trip down memory lane. That's kind of sad, right? 
It is sad. I was feeling that yesterday with with the Eldraine drafts. Like it just didn't feel like there was enough wiggle room to like do. I want to like draft fires of invention and do the sweet stuff, and I'm so gonna do that. But I don't know if that's the optimal strategy. Like it might just be better to just draft your red white knights deck and beat down. You know, poor Eldraine. It's still gonna have a bad rap despite being one of the best formats ever. I think it was like every time my opponent played like a Merfolk Secret Keeper, chat went nuts. They're like, ah, oh, Mildrain is back. Ah, oh, snooze, snooze. <laughs> I'm like, oh my god, this is gonna be insufferable for the next. <laughs> week so the themes and mechanics for dominaria there's a lot of returning stuff things that that have now returned since then that you'll you'll uh be familiar with um sagas this is where they first started um in in dominaria and so those those exist at uh at uncommon and rare so you're gonna see sagas again and and there's gonna be some saga shenanigans that we'll talk about here uh what else is going on in dominaria we got wizards baby I somehow, it took me a while to figure out that Wizards was good because I drafted Blue-Red Wizards, which is, you know, at, we've, one of the things we've taken is that one of the most supported archetypes in the Crash Course is generally one of the best decks. And Wizards was by far the most supported archetype in Saprolings, I think, mm-hmm. when we went through the Crash Course. And the, they did bear out ultimately to be two of the strongest decks. But I lost a lot with Wizards early, and I think I drew some incorrect conclusions about its power level so yeah wizard's very good there's a lot of support for it uh the uncommon adelie's the cinder wind is very powerful it's one blue red for a two two flyer and it has haste right yeah and then whenever you cast an instant or sorcery spell creatures wizards you control get plus one plus one until end of turns it's one of the best ways to be aggressive in the format yeah for sure so so wizards and saplings being a tribal theme that we'll get to i think those are two of the best if not the two best decks in the set um historic is a mechanic in the format so that cares about uh legendaries artifacts or sagas being cast so you'll get like a a trigger from a historic thing being cast and there's also legendary sorceries this was a cool cycle of rares that required you to have a legendary planeswalker creature or just those two actually just which is a bummer because uh (laughs) because of lich's mastery not counting for that stuff you know (laughs) yeah and so they had requirements for you had to meet those requirements before you're able to cast the spell and they were this big flashy sorcery and some of them were great some of them were not so great we'll go over that a little later in the episode yeah, and legendary just sort of as a as a raw theme. I think that's sort of like black white cares about legendaries a little bit. Um, and the last thing here is kicker is back in this format, and so that's a, an alternate casting cost that you can pay. Usually, like a card has a normal casting cost, and then it also has a kicker in the text of the card, and so you can pay this additional cost when you cast it to get some sort of a bonus. Um, and that was a, a theme in in sort of red green teamer colors, but existed uh, really across the board. Yeah. So just diving in, you know, we talked about it as far as big picture. The format was slower. Although there's a sleeper deck, a a mono red aggro deck that I could see really getting its time in the sun if best of one turns out to lend itself to that sort of thing. Yeah, that seemed to be a deck that a lot of folks were abusing back in the bot draft days. Like, I don't feel like that deck emerged really in the Magic Online days of Dominaria. Maybe, maybe towards the end, but it wasn't something that I think you or I ever drafted and then saw it creep up a lot when it came back to Arena the first time around with the bot drafts. Right, yeah. And I think, you know, your favorite card, Skittering Surveyor, three mana for the one, two, when it ETBs, you get to search your library for a basic land and put it into your hand, was, I think, the best common to pack one, pick one. Mm-hmm. And then the the deeper in the draft you went, the less valuable it got because the more you knew about what you were doing, obviously, but made splashing very possible in Dominaria. Blue is the best color in this format 
by a lot. Uh, it's commons run deep. It's top commons are very, very good. All four of the blue decks are four of the best decks in the format. Um, so just keep that in mind when you uh, dive in. But I wonder if that's going to change a little bit. But I, I, I'm not ready to, to make that claim yet. It feels difficult for that to change just because of how large the gap was. I, I like I remember that was another turning point for me when it was, you know, I just remember Dustin Stern touting just draft blue and win and kept posting pictures of decks that just looked like mediocre blue cards and arcane snappers and would just win. I remember getting like a Discord or text message from you. You're like, hey, I sent you some draft logs. Can you check these out? Like, I'm trying to figure out what I'm doing wrong. And I was like, why aren't you drafting divination here? And you were like, oh, I can draft divination. <laughs> right. Yeah. Blue is uh, blue's pretty sweet. Speaking of sweet, there are a ton of awesome build arounds at rare and uncommon. And that's one of the reasons this format has such a huge piece of my heart, you know? Yeah, I think there are lots and they are very good as well. Right. I mean, yeah, some of them are meme but like a lot of them are just straight up really powerful and worth going after. Right. And this next point here, I think, is another one of my epiphany moments, which is that double spelling is super powerful in Dominaria. So it's tempting to think the format's slower. I'm supposed to load my deck up with fours, fives, and sixes so that I have more powerful cards. But really, it's the same thing as cube. It's the same thing we always say right? You you want the most powerful fours, fives, and sixes, and you really want to focus on a lot of good twos and threes so that when you get to turn you know five or turn six, that you can double spell with a two and a three drop or a four drop and a two drop. And that's largely thanks to how busted blink of an eye is, right? Like if you're tapping out for six mana something and your opponent blink of an eye is it, and there's a, so blink of an eye is one and a blue instant return target non-land permanent to its owner's hand. And if you pay kicker of one and a blue, you get to draw a card. So if you pay two blue blue, it cantrips, which is absolutely busted. There's also Academy Journey Mage, which is four and a blue for a three, two. When it ETBs, you bounce a creature and opponent controls. And if you control a wizard, it costs one less to cast. So there's just a lot of ways to tempo your opponent out in Dominaria. Like it wasn't a particularly aggressive format, but it you couldn't just like expect to stabilize by casting some big flashy spell necessarily. Right. So th this next point here, I think, is is one of the things we wrestled with. This was like maybe our first time figuring this out. Like it was a format where you wanted two drops but it was full of bad two drops. Like you wanted stuff you could double spell with, but there wasn't a lot of stuff worth going after because we thought blocking was very good. That made X threes very good. And so it made random two twos less good unless you had ways to like push them through. Um, Pegasus Courser being, I think, one of the best ways to do that. This is two and a white for a one three flyer. When it attacks, you can make another target attacking creature gain flying until end of turn. So like, you know, curving out your... Mesa Unicorn, your two mana, two, two lifelink into that was great. But like just jamming random bears didn't get the job done because people just had like, there are these two mana one threes in the format that have a kicker cost of uh, six mana. So like you either pay them as two mana one threes or six mana and get some bonus. And so you just have these like modal spells in your hand. We talked about Talarian Scholar being good as just a three mana two three. So it's a, you know, a format where you wanted two drops. So you really wanted to make sure those two drops were impactful. Yep. I agree for sure. So that takes us, you know, it's a little big picture overview. It's going to take us into top commons of each color. And we have our honorary slot here in colorless for the aforementioned Skittering Surveyor. And, you know, I, I said splashing was easy if you had Skittering Surveyor. The truth was splashing was not 
easy in Dominaria. Really, the only way to do it was Skittering Surveyor or Grow from the Ashes. So you really, so that's part of why Skittering Surveyor was such a premium common early on in the draft. It was a perfect setup to talk about another card, Ben. What about Navigator's Compass? There's one mana for an artifact. It ETBs, you gain three life, and it filters for any color of mana. So you can pay one through it to, uh, to add any mana any color of mana to your mana pool. Navigator's Compass went on such a roller coaster yeah. <laughs> over the course of the format. So initially, podcasts like ours, you know, limited resources, whatever, you know, the the appropriate thing to say as a content creator is that Navigator's Compass is like taking a mulligan, right? Because it doesn't do anything intrinsically. You're spending a card to filter your mana through it, which is generally not worth a card, right? Yes. But then there came a point in the format where people realized how scarce fixing was and that Navigator's Compass was actually playable. And then instead of it just actually being playable, it went to somehow being the truth and like a very good card because it was like hip to know that Navigator's Compass was playable. But really, ultimately, it still wasn't a great card, in my opinion, but it it certainly did have its home and it is playable in the format. I think famously, Sam Black's Pro Tour Dominaria deck was like absurd. It was like five color legends with a bunch of Navigator's Compasses. And I think that really opened a lot of people's eyes to perhaps the power of that card. Yeah, for sure. So moving on from Skittering Surveyor, we're going to look at white. So looking at number one, we've got Gideon's Reproach, one in a white for an instant. Uh, deals four damage to target attacking or blocking creature. And this is largely a nod to two drops being more important than expensive spells, right? This is one of one of the best twos, one of the best ways to interact early on in the format. And a great way to double spell, right? You like turn five, you can play a three drop and still have Gideon's approach up. Right. And, and a great way to punish opponents that are attacking, right? For mm-hmm. not holding up a lot of mana. Like you plan to block, they do something, you nail them with Gideon's reproach. In the number two slot, we've got Pegasus Courser, two and a white for the one three flyer. And when it attacks, it jumps another creature into the air with it attacking. Uh, and number three, sort of got a, a split here. I, I think, you know, white is one of the weaker colors in Dominaria. And I think that's largely because it's trying to be aggressive. And that's just generally not what the format wanted. Though I think Blue White Skies is a, a very real deck. Um, so here we've got sort of a, a split here between Mesa Unicorn, which is the two mana 2-2 two, two with Lifelink, and Blessed Light, which is White's like premium-ish removal spell or like catch-all removal spell. Four and a white for an instant exile target creature or enchantment. And that enchantment clause does come up quite a bit. It's really good. So uh, is this where we landed at the end of the format? It feels weird to me that Blessed Light is that low. Is it really just because it costs five mana? I think it's because it costs five and white, like... If you wanted to splash removal, you had this didn't matter. Like you could get a blessed light, you could get eviscerate, whatever. And in white, I think white just wanted to be lower to the ground. That makes sense to me. Yeah. The other card that's not on here that I remember being pretty darn good was Call the Cavalry, three and a white for the sorcery, make two 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 knight tokens with vigilance. That card's very good as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, white does have a problem in the four drop slot a little bit with like Call the Cavalry and Avon Sentry as a four mana three two flyer. But yeah, Call the Cavalry, very very good. All right, moving on to blue in the number one slot for me. This was uh, close, I think, all the way till the end of the format. Two cards here that really stand out, Blink of an Eye and Cloud Reader Sphinx. I I landed on Blink in the number one slot. I think I did too, yeah. One and a blue for the instant, uh, return target non-land permanent to its owner's hand, and if you kick it for one and a blue, you get a draw card. The card just is everything you want to do in the format. It's cheap interaction when you need it to be, and when you can afford to pay four mana, it's you know interaction plus draw card. It's really, really, really powerful in the format. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, and the number two slot, Cloud Reader Sphinx. This sort of was the start of the train of these like five mana, three, four flyers with upside. So this is four and a blue for a three, four flyer. When it enters the battlefield, you scry two. Card is so powerful. Yeah. In the number three slot, we've got Academy Journey Mage and Vidalian Arcanist sort of in a tie here. So Academy Journey Mage was the card I talked about earlier. Uh, the 3-2 that when it ETBs, bounces a creature target opponent controls. And Vidalian Arcanist, we've seen recently, Vidalian Arcanist is so much better in Dominaria than every other set it's been in. It's absurd. It's why, it's why I thought it was going to be so good in M21, but it's really narrow. Right, yeah. So one in a blue for a 1-3 and taps to add mana to your mana pool, but you can only use that mana to cast instant or sorcery spells. So in Dominaria, just like think about that curve of Arcanist on two and a kicked blink of an eye on three. There's also divination. I mean, there's just kicker across the board. Um, so that's ways to you know pump this mana into stuff even down the road of of the turns of the game. Wait a second, isn't divination better than journey mage and Vidalian arcanist? Is it? Divination isn't three, is it? I think it might be. Divination was absurd in this format, wasn't it? It's really good. I think it's contextual, right? Because if if blue red wizards is the best deck, which I think it is, then I think journey mage has to be number three. But I. Divination is a very powerful card in this format. I, I remember taking Divination over Journey Mage and Arcanist, but maybe I could be wrong about that. All right. Yeah. I, I tried to pull these from our show notes, but we didn't really revisit these top commons after like, you know, our third episode of the format. So we definitely could have come up on Divination there. So, but just blue has many deep commons. Divination, Tuna Blue, Draw 2, Opt is here and is like the best it's ever been. Coldwater Snapper is just a house as a six mana, four, five hexproof with some good auras floating around to smack on there. Even we love Talarian Scholar. Blue's commons are really deep. Very, very, very deep. In black, what many people had as the best common in number one is Eviscerate. This is three and a black for a sorcery. Destroy. Is it only destroy target creature, right? Right. Eviscerate. In the number one slot, we have Eviscerate, three and a black, sorcery, destroy, target creature. Uh, In the number two spot, we've got Vicious Offering, which is one and a black for an instant Target creature gets minus two, minus two, but it's got a kicker cost of sack a creature. And if you do pay the kicker cost, you can give a creature minus five, minus five instead until end of turn. And there were a lot of sapperling tokens running around in mm-hmm. black decks. So there, there were ways to have a one, one on the board for, so that it was not very difficult to have vicious offering do minus five, minus five. We've got sort of a, a, a bunch of cards to mention here in the three slot i think probably the most intrinsically powerful is death bloom thalad back as a nice role player here two in a black three two when it dies you make a one one sapling one of my favorite cards in this format fungal infection single black for an instant target creature gets minus one minus one until end of turn and you make a one one green sapling creature token yeah i think that card if aggro becomes really good in best of one i think that card's gonna really rise in the ranks because of uh, how versatile it is. Right, it's super busted, right? Because it can block as a 2-2 essentially, mm-hmm. right? Like at instant speed. So you can shrink their thing, make your 1-1 block with your 1-1. So it trades with 2-2s. And then it just winning combats later on in the game and leaving you a sacrifice fodder is also a really big game. And speaking of wanting sacrifice fodder, there's Thalid Omnivore, which I think is really secretly a black. It's best in black green. Um, best when you have a critical mass of sacrifice fodder. This is three and a black for a three, three. You can pay one sack another creature and it gets plus two, plus two until end of turn. If the creature was a sapperling that you sacrificed, you gain two life. But the threat of activation on this card makes it really, really hard to block. Yeah, it is a black green gold card, I think. All right, moving on to red, which is the weakest color in the format. So blue red is the best deck, but then I think, you know, probably the three worst decks. I remember looking at our Discord back in the day of like trying to mine what people's records were with stuff and, you know, 
Blue Red Wizards was by far the most prominent deck in the the trophy section of our Discord. But then the three other red decks were, I think, in last place in in the the three last places. So just keep that in mind. It's interesting that it's like part of the best deck, but then also the weakest color. So the best common here is Shivan Fire. So fans of Shock rejoice. Single red for an instant, deal two damage to target creature, but it has a kicker cost of four. And if you pay the kicker, you deal four to that creature instead. So one mana deal two or five mana deal four. There's also Gitu Chronicler in the number two slot. Uh, this is one in a red for a one three, one of those modal one threes. And then a kicker of three in a red. So if you pay four red red, if Gitu Chronicler enters the battlefield and was kicked, return target instant or sorcery card from your graveyard to your hand. I love that card so much. It's so versatile, right? It's just busted in the blue red deck, but there's also so many other shenanigans you can get up to with it because there are so many powerful sorceries. And then last here, and number three is Kelden Raider, two red red for a four three. When it ETBs, you may discard a card if you do draw a card. This seems to largely also be a pretty important piece to that mono red deck to like stop you from flooding. Right. That makes sense. Moving on to green, we had a great, great debate here. Here are the hot takes. Yeah, uh, I, it took me a while. I fought you a long time on this being the number one common. You were on it from the start. Uh, Lanawar Elves, single green for the one one and can tap to add green to your mana pool. And this, I think even up until the end of the format, we were championing this card. And I think Limited Resources was not a fan of Llanowar Elves at all. So I think important to note that this is a difference of opinion here. I don't think everyone landed on this card being so high, but for for our money, because of Kicker, because of how good the four, five, six mana cards were, getting to those cards a turn sooner. And the fact that Kicker existed meant that like Llanowar Elves even wasn't that dead late in the game, I think just made it such a good card. And it just led to explosive starts with cards like our number two slots, Grow from the Ashes and Yavamaya Sap Herd, depending on what you're trying to do. But if you're ramping and fixing, Grow from the Ashes is your card. Two and a green for a sorcery, search your library for a basic land and put it onto the battlefield untapped, then shuffle your library. But as a kicker cost of two, and if you pay the kicker, you get to search for two lands and put them into play untapped. So either three mana search one or five mana search two. And then five mana search two, play a two drop and feel like a god. Yeah, yeah, that's so gross. Uh, Yavamaya Sap Herd also in, in contention in the number two slot, depending on what direction you're going in. I think that's probably a nod to. Mm-hmm. So you have my sap herd is the two and a green for a two two. And when it ETBs, you make a one one saperling token. Card is great on defense and also great on offense if you're in the saperling deck. And a card that can be powerful, but I think is perhaps overrated is our number three slot here, Saperling Migration. One on the green for a sorcery to make two one one Saperlings, uh, but a kicker cost of four. If you pay the kicker, you make four instead. So two mana make two, six mana make four. Like dedicated token makers were i think a little bit overrated um and and this card can shine there are ways to make this good there are go wide payoffs but you just want to be aware of just like like the, the fail case of this of just two mana make two one ones if we're talking about a format full of one threes and stuff that's pretty embarrassing yep moving on to our mythic uncommons in the format we'll, we'll count this down from five to one okay in the number five slot your girl Tachiova Benthic Druid, three blue-green for a 3-3. Whenever a land enters the battlefield under your control, you gain one life and draw a card. This, I think this is my favorite card in the entire format. Yeah, I love that card. It's so depressing, right? Your opponent plays it, and if you don't kill it immediately, you're so far behind. Right, and ideally what you're doing with this card is you're not just like dangling it on turn five. Like on turn six, you 
play this and then give your land drop for the turn. So you immediately recoup your card and your opponent has to answer it immediately or it's just going to spiral out of control. And there's ways to recur it. Oh, man. In the number four slot, we got fight with fire. Two and a red for a sorcery, deal five damage to target creature. But it has a kicker cost of five and a red, which may sound crazy, but you get there. So that's nine total mana. And if you pay the kicker cost, you deal 10 damage divided as you choose among any number of targets instead. So you could just kill your opponent who's at 10 or less life. You could wrath their board, whatever you want to do. Yeah. A lot of games ended with a kicked fight with fire in Dominaria. Yeah. Eldest Reborn is up next in the number three slot. This is four and a black for a saga. First chapter, each opponent sacrifices a creature or a planeswalker. Second chapter, each opponent discards a card. And a number three chapter... Put target creature or planeswalker card from a graveyard onto the battlefield under your control. Yeah, and the card is busted. Speaking of busted, number two in Bolus's clutches, four blue blue, legendary enchantment aura, enchant permanent. You control enchanted permanent. Enchanted permanent is legendary. You haven't lived until you've stolen your opponent's splash land with Bolus's clutches. <laughs> I remember that. <laughs> Good times. In the number one slot, we've got Icy Manipulator, four mana for the artifact. You can pay one, tap it to tap target artifact, creature, or land. In our 50 Takes episode, which I was listening to, we were talking about like, what what rares do you take over Icy Manipulator? And I like threw out a few, and you were like, I think if money's not on the line and magic online, like if I'm at the PT, I'm taking the Icy Manipulator, pack one, pick one over everything. That's where I landed. I remember that. Yeah, which is like, I think not quite true for me. Like there are some bombs that I think I would take over, like Multani, I think was large largely considered the best card in the format but icy manipulator being colorless is huge and it's so oppressive it's really good in the format yeah yeah and this is sort of why like you know you got sagas floating around you got a lot of like historic is a thing and so a lot of artifacts exist like main deck artifact and enchant removal is totally reasonable i think for sure all right so we're going to run down the best decks here in the format and then look at some more niche decks and maybe some fun build arounds so best deck as we've been talking about is blue red so despite red being the weakest color in the format this is the best deck out there and it can play out in a number of different ways which may be one of the reasons that led you ben to having some mixed experiences with it early on and then figuring it out later on in the format well even some of the most winningest blue red decks like they don't look like great decks necessarily like gitu journey mage is not a great card this is two and a red for a three two and when it etbs uh, deals two damage to an opponent if you control another wizard aka the pizza mage right yeah. due to due to the art <laughs> yeah um but like that's not a great card like so you had to play i think the the trick to the deck was you had to play a lot of junker two and three drop wizards so that you're busted uncommon four and five mana wizards were really overpowered well and there was sort of a split right you could be a a more creaturey based wizard deck with stuff like gitu journey mage and we talked about academy journey mage gitu lava runner maybe in the in the one drop slot backed up by some spells so this is a one mana one two if you have two or more instants or sorceries in your graveyard it has plus one plus oh in haste but there's also like a more spell based versions that take advantage of the hallmark uncommon in adelie's the cinder winds which we talked about earlier that's the the haste fly that when you cast instant or sorceries pumps your wizards until end of turn so if you have that backed up by cheap cantrips like opt and warlord's fury which is you know essentially crash through but instead it gives first strike rather than trample so folks understanding the like blue red cantripy you know explosive prowessy deck in m21 this is going to feel like that some of the time right it's it's very much i think it is almost exactly the same as m21 where yeah. if you land in the middle of the two blue red archetypes 
you don't have a very good deck, right? You really want to know if you're like an aggressive tempo wizards deck or a more slower, more controlling wizards deck. Right. Yeah, exactly. So I think just being aware of that as you draft it will help. But both of those versions were very, very good. And there are also going to be some uncommons or even rares that might push you down one or one or more of those routes. Right. And if you are controlling, every blue deck featured the wombo combo finisher of Coldwater Snapper, which is five and a blue for a four or five hexproof with Arcane Flight, which is single blue for an aura, an enchanted creature. Enchanted creature gets plus one, plus one, and has flying. Yeah. Coldwater Snapper was such a feel bad. <laughs> it really was. Yeah. There's not only Arcane Flight, but and we're not going to talk about this really anywhere else, but there's On Sarah's Wings, which is an, a legendary aura that gives the creature plus one, plus one, flying, lifelink, and vigilance, which is disgusting on Coldwater Snapper. Yeah, that probably could have made our Mythic Uncommons list as well. There were a lot of really strong uncommons in this set. The delta between the cards that matter in this set and the cards that don't is very large. Sort of sort of similar to THB. Yeah, I think that's why it's so funny that like I think Dominaria largely is considered one of the, the best draft formats. And then there are a lot of dissenters as well who are like, I think Dominaria is overrated. And I think that's one of the biggest knocks against it is that like it often felt like the game came down to just one card that invalidated a lot of turns, which is sort of what Theros Beyond Death what my biggest gripe against Theros Beyond Death was. Yeah. Uh, moving on to the next deck is Black Green. Uh, Sapling deck is very much a tribal deck. So if you are Black Green and you take cards that say Sapling and care about Sapling's, you will probably end up with a very good and very synergistic deck. Had a lot of payoffs and enablers at Common and Uncommon. And a lot of the good Sapling makers already make the top commons list of black and green. Like they're just intrinsically good cards that you're going to play outside of the Sapling's deck. And then when you put them together and you are trying to do Sapperlings things, they're even more busted. So some of the ones that stick out that we have not talked about yet, Thalid Soothsayer. This is three and a black for a two, three, and you can pay two to sacrifice a creature to draw a card. There's Song of Fraylis. This card is sweet. Yeah, this this is one of the, the biggest like go wide payoffs. So this is one and a green for a saga and first chapter and second chapter are the same thing. Until your next turn, creatures you control gain tap, add one mana of any color. And then the third chapter is put a plus one, plus one counter on each creature you control. Those creatures gain vigilance, trample, and indestructible until end of turn. This is very responsible for some of the most busted starts in the format, right? Like turn two, you play a sapling migration. Turn three, you play your song of Fraylise. Then you play another sapling migration or something. And then all of a sudden you've got seven mana on like the fourth turn of the game. It's it's very ridiculous. There's the sapling lord here in Spore Crown Thalid. This is one and a green for a two, two. Each other creature you control that's a fungus or sapling gets plus one plus one. This is a very narrow card. I think this was like maybe picked too early. I think a lot of people wanted to get into this deck because it was so good. I think this is more like a I'm in the sapling deck and I get this as a bonus type deal. Well, except it works so well with green's top commons, right? There's like an intrinsic green package of, you know, Sporkron Thalid just makes intrinsically good cards in Sapling Migration and Yavamaya Sapherd. Very good, all self-contained within green. So you can have that as a package in like your green blue deck or whatever. Yeah, yeah. I think green white's probably the second best home for it because like green white was kind of a go wide deck anyway. Yeah, that makes sense. And then I remember dueling about this card <laughs> in our crash course. Uh, this is Wild Onslaught, three and a green for an instant, put a plus one plus one counter on each creature you control and it has kicker four if the spell was kicked put two plus one plus one counters on each creature you control instead yeah th this card is good i probably didn't like it is my guess 
Yeah, you didn't like it and I was in love with it. And the truth was it's like average or slightly below average, I think. I mean, I think it's probably better than that just because the kicker thing came up a lot more than you thought because of like Llanowar Elves and Grow from the Ashes and the the Uncommon Elf. So you got to the eight mana and when you were doing eight mana, put two plus most one counters on your creatures at instant speed. That was pretty dang good. Yeah. And then there's the most gross card of all in black green, which honestly just got stolen by a lot of other decks and splashed. Mm -hmm. Uh, Slimefoot the Stowaway. This is one black green for two, three legendary creature fungus. And whenever a sapperling you control dies, Slimefoot the Stowaway deals one damage to each opponent and you gain one life. And you can pay four to make a one, one green sapperling creature token. Yeah. So, you know, black green really can grind. You could also get explosive starts depending on what sort of like buffs you got for the the sapperlings. But I think I think the deck got there for sure. So blue black is our next deck that's up. And this plays out like a normal blue black control deck. You've got great removal from black card draw from blue. You really want to trade one for one as often as possible in the early game and just pull ahead with card advantage in the mid to late game with stuff like divination or Soul Salvage, which was two and a black for a sorcery, return two target creature cards from your graveyard to your hand. And there were a lot of sweet historic synergies going on in blue-black. That was not its focus, but you could do all of that stuff as well. So you could do some Saga loops, and there's a card called Rona Disciple of Gix that I swear is Ethan's spirit animal. Yeah, I think I like this card a lot more than most people's. It's one blue-black for a 2-2. When it enters the battlefield, you may exile target historic card from your graveyard. Uh, you may cast non-land cards exiled with Rona, and you can pay four tap to exile the top card of your library. So often how you wanted this to play out, if you could afford to do it, would be to wait until like, you know, turn six to get back your Skittering Surveyor and cast it immediately. There's a an artifact called Blood Tallow Candle, which is a single mana artifact. You, you can pay six to tap it to sacrifice it and give target creature minus five, minus five until end of turn. So, I mean, obviously that wouldn't have made its way to the graveyard naturally already, but you know that's a cheap thing to get back. So cheap things to get back with Rona. There were like sweet loops. There's a saga called Time of Ice that returned all tapped creatures to their owner's hand on the last chapter. And so if you had Rona tapped, when Time of Ice went off, then Rona went back to your hand and then you could play Rona to get Time of Ice back into play. There was Guardians of Koilos, which is a five mana four four artifact that returned an historic per- permanent you control to its owner's hand when it came into play. So you could get back Guardians of Koilos, return Rona. Like th- Rona is a really sweet card in the format. <laughs> my brain, I know what you're talking about, <laughs> and my brain is exploding right now because I never quite got up to the level of Rona shenanigans that you did, and you did it so much that I think you can do it on autopilot at this point. <laughs> and any listener that has never played Dominaria just just shut the podcast off. They're like done. they're done. They're done. They just checked out. <laughs> no, they're still with us. You're still with us, right, folks? <laughs> All right, Ben, take us take us home with your your favorite deck of the format. Oh yeah, baby. So once I got over my huge slump, uh, it was largely with this deck, and I love this deck all the way through the format. So this was blue white, and this very much was a tempo flyers type deck uh, where you really wanted to double spell, and tempo mattered a lot. So. Blue-White nominally was like a a historic aggro deck. There were cards like Relic Runner, which was one and a blue for a 2-1 that couldn't be blocked if you played a historic spell. And as a reminder, historic spells are artifacts, legendaries, or sagas. Um, There's also a card called Diavenant Trapper that is two and a white for a 3-2. And same deal, whenever you played a card with a historic, you could tap target creature and opponent controls. So both very aggressive cards. But it ultimately ended up being about just getting some flyers out there and using Blink of an Eye, like getting some two drops down, using Blink of an Eye to tempo your opponent out 
have some flyers and try to double spell. Yeah. And there was like a really sweet combat trick in Adamant Will, which is one on a white for an instant. Target gets plus two plus two and indestructible until end of turn. That was kind of like key to the double spelling combat nature of this deck. Yeah, there was tension of like these historic trigger cards and actual historic cards to trigger them that I don't think that style of the deck came together very often. And it's much more about what you're talking about, about like getting stuff in the air, curving Mesa Unicorn into Pegasus Courser to launch your 2-2 lifelinker into the air, like that sort of stuff. Right. And that Adamant Will, I remember when I realized how good Adamant Will was, because when your opponent goes to cast their four mana Eviscerate or their five mana Blessed Light and you get a blank them, you can't, well, I you guess can't, you can't. You can't blank blessed yeah, light. Yeah, there you go. But they're eviscerate rather. But just being able to save your creature for two mana or win a combat for two mana is a big deal. Like when your opponent plays their cloud reader sphinx and tries to stabilize, it's sort of like the same thing in M twenty one, right? Mm-hmm. You're attacking into their cloud reader sphinx, and then all of a sudden your Mesa unicorn, your two two life link, is still relevant because you can push it through with adamant will. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Blue green is up next, and that's going to be the last of our our top decks. And this this may not even this is probably maybe more on the niche side of things. I think it's less powerful than the other decks here. But a classic blue green pairing of ramp from green and card draw with blue, often blue green XX because of access to that green uh, rampant growth style card we talked about in Grow from the Ashes. So you've got that powerful ramp from that card from Llanowar Elves. There's an uncommon called Elfheim Druid, which is one in a green for an O2 that taps to add green, but you can tap to add green green to use that mana for cards that are being kicked so you can curve elfame druid on two into a kicked grow from the ashes on turn three which is so broken that's really really powerful yeah there's also a lot of really good blue card draw divination we keep talking about blink of an eye there's a card called weight of memory which is three blue blue for a sorcery you draw three cards and then target player puts the top three cards of their library into their graveyard Mm -hmm. so oftentimes there were so many ways to use the graveyard in dominaria that if you weren't planning to mill your opponent out oftentimes you wanted to mill yourself but then there was this weird tension too where you didn't really want to mill yourself because some of your best cards mattered so much that if you did put them in the bin the games would go like dominaria went to natural decking some right. of the time, right? Yeah, So I remember there sure. being weird tension with milling in the format. Yes, I agree. Weight of memory was like not as powerful because of that milling clause, I think. It was scary. Well, and five mana, right? Mm-hmm. Divination is just better than weight of memory. Yes. Um, there's also just like a ton of powerful spells slash kicker spells to ramp into. So just, just to run through a few of these, like... There's a common called Academy Drake, which is a three mana 2-2 two, two flyer in blue, but as a kicker of four, so you can pay seven mana to have it come into play with two plus one plus one counters on it, so a seven mana 4-4 four, four flyer. Bayloth Gorger, worse than it looks, four mana 4-4 four, four in green with a kicker of four to have it come into play as a 7-7 seven, seven instead. There's like just giant monsters. I think Thorn Elemental was really oppressive. Five green green for a 7-7, seven, seven, and you can have it assign its combat damage as though it weren't blocked. Or a lot of times when your ramping opponent casts this and you just felt like you couldn't win it was not a high pick no 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 no. just because there's so many expensive things you can get like you know you can just get a kicked bayloth gorger and that's going to be good too right so one of the things that's going to be shocking coming to dominaria off of m21 if you've not played dominaria before is just how many mana sinks there are and how mana hungry decks were so it was oftentimes we haven't said this yet the norm was to play 18 lands right i think something weird had to happen to go down to 17 lands because you wanted to hit your land drops so badly If you ever missed your turn five or your turn six land drop and your opponent hit them, they were able to cast spells that mattered so much more than your spells that it it was just really rough. So along with that, uh, there were cards 
a cycle of memorials that were very good. Um, and so both the green and the blue memorials were very good here. So the memorial to genius is a blue land that ETBs tapped and you can pay four and a blue tap it sacrifice it to draw two cards and memorial to unity was the green one. And it was two and a green tap sack it look at the top five cards of your library, you may reveal a creature card from among them and put it in your hand, put the rest on the bottom of your library in a random order. So ways to cash in your lands as spells later in the game. And you know, just a, another nod to Vidalian Arcanist strong in this deck as well, because it helps you ramp into your card draw spells and as well as use uh, use that mana to cast Grove from the Ashes. Yeah, and that takes us on to some niche decks. We keep talking about this mono red aggro deck. Basically, you want a lot of cheap creatures and there are a lot of two mana, two, two junker type cards in red that you will be playing. Mm-hmm. This this deck hinged around Runamuck, which is one in a red for an instant target attacking creature gets plus three, plus three and gains trample until end of turn. So essentially what you're trying to do with the deck is leverage the fact that your opponents think the format is slow and then they're going to be trying to block and they're going to have to tap out for their blockers. So essentially you just want pressure and to be casting run amok into your opponent when your opponent is tapped out because they have to tap out because they're trying to stabilize that that I think is ultimately the game plan of the deck yeah and looking at a lot of successful versions of this deck on uh, twitter and from our discord i think the flame of keld was another important card this is a saga uh for one and a red uh chapter one you discard your hand chapter two draw two cards but the important part is chapter three if a red source you control would deal damage to a permanent or player this turn it deals that much damage plus two to that permanent or player instead and that in conjunction with some some trampling creatures with run on them is quite powerful Right, and that would routinely go very late at the end of packs. Right, yeah, because it looks on its face so bad, especially when you think red is bad and when aggro decks are bad. Right, and at the top of the curve, you want that Kelden Raiders for Flood Insurance, the 4-mana 4-3 that lets you discard a card, draw a card. Next up, we've got Blue X Historic Mill. So there's a there's a kind of Junker common, uh, Homerit Explorer, which is 3 and a blue for a 3-3. Three, three. This was, what, what are we calling it, Mill Giant? Because when it ETBs, oh, yeah. target player mills four cards. The first time I think we experienced this was the second, that Sunday of that GP, when we were just like team drafting. And the team we were playing against... One of them drafted this deck with like four or five of the mill crabs. And like, you know, you can bounce the mill crab with blink of an eye or rescue and replay it. And I think I was just like, oh, God, is this deck real? I was so salty losing to that deck. <laughs> there's there's some pieces that uncommon as well. Diligent Excavator is one in a blue for a one three. Whenever you cast a historic spell, target player puts the top two cards of their library into their graveyard. There's Howling Golem, one of our favorite cards, three mana artifact for a two three. Whenever it attacks or blocks, each player draws a card. The aforementioned Weight of Memory. And a lot of these cards, like Howling Golem, like Diligent Excavator, like Homerit Explorer, they went late. And I would assume they probably will again, unless there are people like fondly remembering this deck. But I don't think a lot of people fondly remember this deck. <laughs> yeah, uh, Teamer Kicker is another one. It's usually base blue green splashing red for some removal. Um, really features grow from the ashes, blink of an eye. And then, you know, you want those kicker cards to enable Halar the Fire Fletcher. Lords of Limited preview card. Lords of Limited preview card. This is, which our, is this one, our first preview card. That's so sweet. Yeah. One red green for a 3 3 with trample. And whenever you cast a spell, if that spell is kicked, put a plus one plus one counter on Halar the Fire Fletcher. And then it deals damage to the number of plus one plus one counters on it to each opponent. It was this and Baloth Gorger, right? This Baloth Gorger and Elfheim Druid. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We got the little, the little kicker package. Next 
Next up is another deck that I think is near and dear to your heart, White X Equipment. So this is specifically off the back of, so there's a common equipment, Jousting Lance, two mana, equipped creature gets plus two plus oh, as long as it's your turn, equipped creature has first strike. The equip cost is hefty, it's three mana, but in combo with a really nice uncommon that again, wasn't a super high pick. This is Quende, Pride of Femrith. Three and a white for a 2-2 legendary creature, Human Knight. It has double strike, and creatures you control with first strike have double strike. So turning the the Jousting Lance into a double strike equipment was big game. Right. I remember this being white-black at its best, I think. But yeah, it was a fine deck. I don't remember it being super great. Jousting Lance was either great or terrible depending on the game state (laughs) and depending on i think how you built your deck for sure that too yeah um there was also red black graveyard loops on the back of one of the sweetest cards in the set garna the blood flame so this is three black red for a three three with flash and whenever it enters the battlefield return to your hand all creature cards in your graveyard that were put there from anywhere this turn other creatures you control have haste if you got to garner the blood flame you could do some ridiculous things in this format and there's just also like at common you can loop so we talked about soul salvage three mana get back two creatures and gitu chronicler the red one three with kicker that can get back an instant or sorcery when you cast it with kicker so you know if you soul salvage back gitu chronicler and another creature then you can cast gitu chronicler with kicker to get back soul salvage and then Gichu Chronicler dies, and then eventually you can get that back in another creature and just loop de loop de loop. So like you were able to draft these like really grindy red black decks. I remember Ben Stark was like obsessed with this deck. Right. Well, and you too. Like I think one of the things about Dominaria is that there was a lot of exploring to do and a lot of sweetness and a lot of going deep. And you got really rewarded for pushing into that stuff. Like mm-hmm. almost all of it was good. Yeah. And a lot of it existed at common you know like just talking about this kind of combo etc like a lot of that that sweetness was able to come up multiple times in drafts for sure uh, last thing here we want to look at we talked about saga loops so the way that sagas work is the last chapter goes on the stack and then you can respond to it and you'll still get that effect from the last chapter of the saga so specifically blink of an eye is great you can have the the final effect of your saga happen and then you can use blink to return your saga to your hand there's also a more niche card, but I think a card that actually had a, a really sweet home uh, is Rescue, single blue for an instant, return target permanent you control to its owner's hand. So a way to return sagas, a right way to you know respond to removal, etc. And then there was also a creature version of that thing that was a lot more expensive. There was Sentinel of the Pearl Trident, which is four and a blue for a three through with flash. And when it ETBs, you may exile target historic permanent you control. And if you do return that card to the battlefield under its owner's control at the beginning of the next end step. Yeah. Uh, so really, really a lot of sweet things, all concentrated in blue there to uh, to manipulate your sagas. So that should arm you with some knowledge to go into some Dominaria pack one, pick ones here. So let's take a look at this pack and see what we've got going on. So pack one, pick one. We're just going to read all the cards here and sort of, you know, maybe we can take up like a pause after each card to talk about it. Yeah. So Voltaic Servant is two mana for a one three artifact creature and at the beginning of your end step. Untap target artifact. Not a great card was filler ish i think and went well most with traxo scourge of krug yeah which was a four mana seven seven that entered the battlefield tapped i think and then whenever you cast a historic spell you could untap it and if you had the wombo combo with voltaic servant you just got to untap it at the beginning of every end step and it also had trample it was a huge threat four yeah. mana seven seven trample and everybody always thought that voltaic servant was a combo with icy manipulator which like it kind of is if you cared about tapping something down on your turn but not not as powerful as you might think next up is sergeant at arms this is two and a white for a two 
three. It's uh, got kicker of two and a white. And when it enters the battlefield, if you kicked it, you create two one one white soldier creature tokens. Yeah, fine card filler. Pegasus Courser is up next. Two and a white for the one three with flying. And when it attacks, another target attacking creature gains flying until end of turn. Good in that white aggressive deck. Mm-hmm. Uh, my boy Lanor Elves is up next. Single green for a one one. Taps to add green. And next up, Keldon a Warcaller. One in a red for a two two. When it attacks, put a lore counter on target Saga you control. This is one of those cards that's not very good, but that is the key to that mono red deck coming together. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, you look at that in this pack and you go, great, that's going to wheel because no one else should want that. Right. Uh, Jousting Lance is in the pack. The two mana equipment, equip cost of three, equipped creature gets plus two plus oh and has first strike as long as it's your turn. Frenzied Rage is up next. One in a red enchant creature, enchanted creature gets plus two plus one and has menace. Not a good card, and I think probably not even a great card in the mono red deck would be my guess. There's just too much removal and bounce running around for cards like this to do well. Yeah, definitely not Ixalan territory here. Feral Abomination is five and a black for a five five with Death Touch. You know, this card I think suffered from the fact that there's also an artifact. There's a six mana five five at common with Trample. You, if you just wanted something at six mana you could get it. So this card just didn't really matter. Right. Excavation Elephant is up next. I kept trying to make this card work and it just really (laughs) never really quite got there. (laughs) Four and a white for a three five uh, and has kicker of one and a white. When it ETBs, if it was kicked, return target artifact card from your graveyard to your hand. Uh, Academy Drake, that's the three mana two two flyer with kicker four comes into play with two plus one plus one counters if it was kicked. Next is a Valduk Keeper of the Flame, two and a red for a three two at the beginning of combat. On your turn, for each aura and equipment a card attached to Valduk, Keeper of the Flame, create a 3-1 red elemental creature token with Trample and Haste. Exile those tokens at the beginning of the next end step. I chuckled when I read this card because this card I had some roller coasters with at the beginning of the format when I was really struggling. So this card is not great, right? It is powerful if you do the thing, but the doing of the thing is not really what you want to be doing in the format, I guess. But I was losing a lot early on, and then I lost to an opponent that like put three auras and equipment on their Valduk and was making like a million three one haste things every turn. And so I was like, huh, maybe Valduk's good. <laughs> so, so my next draft, I drafted this terrible Valduk deck and 3 and that was probably when I was messaging you to, to look at my draft logs and figure out what I was doing wrong. Yeah, red white was like like the theme of it was auras and equipment mattered sort of, but just like you didn't want to do frenzied rage or you didn't want to cast this was the first uh, appearance of dub which is now back in M21. But like didn't want to cast dub. Jousting lance fine. Like short sword was in this format. You didn't really want to cast short sword that much. Like so Valduk it was often like, well, you wanted this to be legendary to enable some legendary sorceries or whatever. But otherwise, I don't think this was this was the route to victory. Well, right. And if you happen to have aura or equipment that you were going to play otherwise, great in your Valdic deck. But you Valdic was not a build around. So don't 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 do my mistake. Right. They're good <laughs> rare equipment for sure. There's like Forebear's Blade, which is busted. There's Helm of the Host, which is busted. So there are things you can do. Uh, next up. Kind of a sad return here for Sarah Angel, three white white for a four four flying vigilance. Yeah, a card is underpowered in this format, I think. I think there was a lot of talk that Cloud Reader Sphinx was just better than Sarah Angel in the format, right? For the four four and a blue, three, four flyer, I mean ETBs you scry to. I think you I think that's just true, right? I mean it's just um, blue is just a much better color than white, and I think just the scry two is 
pretty dang powerful and it's splashable. Right. No, I agree. I think I think that's correct as well. Next up is Memorial to Genius. The blue tapped land uh, adds blue and you can pay four and a blue to sack it to draw two cards. Our rare is one of my favorite build arounds. The Mending of Dominaria. Three green green for a saga. Chapters one and two are put the top two cards of your library into your graveyard. Then you may return a creature card from your graveyard to your hand. And chapter three, return all land cards from your graveyard to the battlefield, then shuffle your graveyard into your library. Yeah, card is sweet. So what are your thoughts on this pack? What do you narrow down the picks to? I'm a little embarrassed at looking at what I picked here. (laughs) Well, don't worry about that. Um, So yeah, looking at this pack, I would narrow it down to Llanowar Elves as the only common in consideration. Uh, Sarah Angel and I think the Mending of Dominaria are rare. I think many of Dominaria is, in my opinion, the most powerful card here to take. I guess if, if you're trying to draft that that aggro deck, you, you could take Valduk and wheel the Keldon Warcaller if you wanted to try and do mono-red shenanigans. Yeah, I think that would also be an option. I think looking at this pack now, I think Mending of Dominaria is the right pick. And I think Llanowar Elves is probably even the right pick over Sarah Angel. Yeah, that's where I would land. I think I would take Pegasus Courser over Sarah Angel, honestly. I think that's more important to the white aggro deck than Sarah Angel is. So I'm, this is this is why I didn't do well in Dominaria, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> well, you, you may have a chance to redeem yourself if you're interested in, in diving in when it comes uh, back to Arena on Friday. I am. I, w- I will be diving into some best of one. Yeah, and it'll be interesting to see how it shakes out. I, th- I do think, you know, just keep in mind that best of one rewards aggressive decks, rewards streamlined low curves, which is not necessarily what Dominaria featured in its first time around. So you may need to adapt if you are coming back to this format for a second time. Yeah, I am excited to check it out though. All right, great place to wrap us up. Thank you as always to Salty Pretzels for our intro and outro music. Make sure you give that a listen. Uh, come check us out on Twitch and Twitter. I'm at twitch.tv slash Lord Tupperware. Ben is at twitch.tv slash Mr. Metronome. Mr. is spelled out. I was reminded this week that it's sometimes hard to find you. So reminding folks that Mr. is spelled out there, both under those same usernames on Twitter, and you can tweet at the podcast at Lords of Limited. If you've got any feedback about the show, shoot us an email at lordsoflimited at gmail.com. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll catch you next week for another episode of Lords of Limited. Thanks, everybody. See you later. Is this happening? This is me doing this. The show notes just went crazy. <laughs> crazy. But do you see this? There's like now it just like created like 16 pages of nothing. <laughs> what did you do? I don't know. I just saw like the cursor just like I, maybe like my oh, my enter key is stuck. <laughs> I have not had my hand on the keyboard. <laughs> not guilty. My enter key got stuck. All right, we'll fix that later, I guess. <laughs> maybe we'll leave that as a little gift. Well, we've got our blooper, ladies and gentlemen. (laughs) Sorry, that was...
freaking out. I was not listening to a thing. I was just like watching it scroll. <laughs> what is happening? <laughs> uh, that's funny. Okay. Um, what were we talking about? <laughs>